you even so this is you know kind of getting uh, you know talking to people the culture even before you know the Middle East was modernized we know that they are not incredibly uh, modern over there still in, in many areas but uh, you know the culture was still the same pretty much you know from from really uh, New Testament times um, in many ways. Um, so this is the book we're going through. If you don't have it, you know, I'd encourage you to get it. It's a, it's a great read. It's very, very accessible. It's not, like, really technical or anything. Uh, but we're going to go through a little bit of background on the, uh, I guess I should get my notes out. Try to just uh, wing it, but I'd rather not. Um, so we're going to go through some background, um, additional background on this uh, Luke Five, uh, the the calling of the first disciples and the miraculous catch of fish. Um, so first, we're going to talk a little bit about Hebrew parallelisms because they feature pretty heavily in the um, in the in the book uh, by Bailey. So Hebrew parallelism, everybody's you know everybody knows a little bit of poetry. What, what do you think of when you think of poetry? Just throw out some rhyming, rhyming right? The last roses are red, violets are blue, that type of thing. Symmetry, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Hebrew parallelism, is it, is it actually poetry? Well, it, it's in poetry quite a bit, like in the Psalms, uh, but it's not always poetry, and it's not just poetry. So, it's, it's an arrangement of ideas um, that help to, you know, emphasize something else in, in, in the text, or, or point out what's the really significant uh, part of the text that helps us to define terms, because sometimes you'll have... Uh, you know, one sentence will uh, say something, and then a sentence that's set up kind of in symmetry from from that one will have either uh, the same thing said in a different way, or it will say the opposite. So it, it helps you to understand what those terms and phrases mean. Um, and there's a couple of different uh, setups that they have. You see, they have uh, um, Bailey broke it down into sequential. So you have, uh, you know, two thoughts that kind of go together, and then another two thoughts, that's the A-A-B-B-C-C, um, step parallelism, so you'll have, uh, you know, A-B-C, and then you'll have kind of the same thoughts repeated uh, again in another, you know, in another uh, phrase or sentence or, or whatever. And then you have this one that's called uh, inverted or chiastic uh, structure, which you can see it's, you know, backwards from each other. And it's called chiastic because uh, the letter, um, the Greek letter, uh, it looks like it looks like an X. Uh, it's a chi, and it's because they cross in the center, right? The C's kind of intersect each other. Um, so it's not just an art form. It's not just to make the stuff flow. It's actually useful in. Um, I meant to say interpretation there. So it's, it's useful in interpreting. You know what what the passage is is saying. It. it can clear things up for us. So we're not always used to this uh, type of thing. We're very, you know, we have a, a certain flow of, of thoughts. You know, we uh, think in, in steps, so step one, step two, step three, everything follows. There's a beginning, middle, conclusion. We do this a lot. We see this a lot in preaching. We have, you know, introduction. You have three points. You have a conclusion. Um, so everything runs kind of in a, in a straight line with each thing separating or uh, supporting the, the thing after it. Um, but 
in, in this type of thought, you can see that you can have, uh, you know, the, the climax or, or whatever the main point is, like in the chiastic structure, the main point is going to be right in the middle. It's not going to be at the end. So the most important part of what Jesus or whoever is spe- any prophet is saying is going to be the thing that's in the middle. And uh, one, one of the things that we're going to look at, uh, one of the passages we're going to look at today, actually the uh, passage, a couple of them, uh, have that uh, set up. So one sample parallelism, just to give us a little exercise and get us thinking that way, is in Luke 6, 16, 13. So sorry, I had to turn over to Luke 5, but if you want to turn over to Luke uh, 16, 13, we'll actually do a uh, quick, it's just one verse, uh, but we'll do actually a quick breakdown um, on the board. what's going on in this statement, and who's it happening to, or, or who's doing it, whatever. So in the first part of, of 13, no, no servant can serve two masters. So we've got, who, who's the, um, what's, what's the verb there? Serve, serve, serve right? Uh, two, serve two masters. Second part, what, what do we got here? Eight. Yep. Yeah. 
buys over here. And there's actually an un, kind of an unnatural break. Um, no. Let's see. Are you able to advance the slides for us? Hey, I'm just trying, but it, I can do it for you. Yeah. Let me see. It didn't work. Didn't work? Okay. I'll just kind of do it. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, yeah, those, those things aren't in the original. And there's actually an unnatural break in, in 1 Corinthians 1.17 and... Two, two. So the chapter break happens right in the middle of a of a parallelism. So looking at that, we know that well, one, the chapter break is in the wrong place, but that's one of the things we need to look out for because somebody might have come along and put a chapter break in, and we're reading a passage and we're not getting the full meaning of that passage because we've broken our thought. If we read our Bibles one chapter at a time. Um, you know, which I think you know many people do. You're going to kind of miss that. Um, so it's th the reason we're going over parallelisms, uh, you know, it's going to be relevant to the lesson today and, and probably throughout, um, you know, these lessons. So another another before we move on to the text is Jewish education. Um, so it's pretty pretty standard, and we know this uh, information um, from the. Uh, from, from the Midrash, which was, um, it was the oral tradition that was written down about 200 A.D. Uh, by, by the Jewish leaders. Because they were being uh, more and more dispersed, and they were fearful that we're going to lose our oral tradition, so we better write this down. So, um, 
they wrote this down, and basically one, one of the um, things that it outlines there is what um, Jewish education was like. So uh, young children, it's kind of, you know, a little bit similar to how we do primary school and, uh, you know, kids before they reach school age, you know, they're taught by their parents usually or some kind of guardian or nurse or something. From 5 to about 12 years old, they go to a synagogue school that was taught by a, a you know, rabbi in the town. And um, if they showed a uh, higher aptitude and uh, were able to, they were like, okay, this is a really promising student. You know, some example, you know, example from the Bible probably come to mind would be Paul, right? Really highly advanced. He would go on possibly to a more advanced uh, Torah and Mishnah study. They'd learn, uh, you know, more about, about teaching the Torah. Um, or if you were, you know, an average student or maybe, you know, there could be a number of reasons, you know, your family just didn't, you know, have the ability or the community didn't have the ability to support you going to learn from this rabbi, you would go home and, you know, be apprenticed to mom or dad. Um, so at 18 to 20, you were able to get married and you would probably be starting your career or at that same time, you would become the disciple of a um, of a rabbi and you would follow him along just like the, the disciples followed Jesus. You would become a disciple of uh, a rabbi who was kind of usually an itinerant preacher. You'd follow him around and uh, learn everything that he uh, you know that he taught and you would be able to in turn teach it to others. So and at the age of 30 you're actually able to assume teaching authority uh, in the community. So we're all familiar with that, right? How old was Jesus? When he started his ministry, he was about 30. So we don't actually know if, you know, what Jesus was doing. We have a couple of uh, snippets of, of what happened when Jesus was uh, infant, you know, being presented as a temple. Then when he gets a little bit older, about 12, so it still lines up with, with what we see here. They um, and they and they may have pointed that out purposely, um, you know, the gospel writers to say Jesus was one of these really promising students, right? So maybe he was one of these guys who, um, you know, went on to this more advanced study of the Torah. We don't know. I mean, maybe Jesus just had miraculous knowledge from God. Maybe he didn't go to Torah school, um, but interesting to think about, anyways. Because um, maybe Jesus was even going around with, you know, being a disciple of another famous rabbi and, and preaching throughout the uh, throughout Judea. So if, let's uh, finally turn over to our text in, in Luke five, and we'll read that. Five, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So here they are fishing on the um, Sea of Galilee, right? Another name for Lake uh, Gennesaret, also called Sea of Tiberias. Um, so, are there any anybody in the audience? Anybody fish? Yeah. When when's the best time to fish? Yeah, early in the morning or night. A lot of people do night fishing, right? Anybody gone? Um, it probably depends too, right? On what you're what you're fishing for. So you could go out, you know, if you go out on the uh, ocean and do some deep sea fishing, probably quite a bit different than than this. So um, the uh, the apostles or the uh, Simon and Andrew and James and John, obviously at this point they're expert uh, fishermen. Um, and they knew when to fish, they knew how to fish, they knew, uh, you know, what they were doing. Uh, they had fished all night because that's, they know that on the Sea of Galilee, the fish come out at night and feed, and during the day, they actually go down to the bottom and they chill out in the rocks, right? So catching fish during the day is, you know, tricky business. This is actually a, a boat that was discovered, um, I think, in the 80s, uh, and uh, they could, you know, kind of loosely termed the, the Jesus boat because it is uh, very much like a boat that they would have used in the first century. They actually dated it to the first century. Um, it's hard to tell the dimensions here, but it's about, it's like 30 feet long and seven or so, almost 30 feet long, about seven feet across at the widest part there. Um, it probably would have had a a little mast and a sail that kind of went you know, back like this from the front. Um, but they, they use those throughout the Gospels, right? They use them when they're fishing, they use boats to cross the lake, um, all that sort of thing. So here is actually a satellite view of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Kind of, I was trying to think of what it looked like, and then I showed my daughter, and she was like, it looks like a footprint. <laughs> okay. There you go. Looks like a footprint. So this this would have been probably like where they would probably would have been like over in this area here, because this is like the Galilee side of the of the lake. Like Tiberias is right here. Um, there's a bunch of you know cities all around um, the lake up to the north. So uh, Gennesaret means harp. They think it looks like a harp too. Wow. <laughs> I missed I miss that one. <laughs> um, it does actually look like a heart. I think it looks like a footprint. Because <laughs> that's what my daughter said. Um, Alright, so Jesus doesn't show up at the best, at, at the best time. Um, but... It's uh, significant that when, when he does, Luke says that he was um, speaking the word of God to the people, right? So the people recognized him as 
a prophet. He wasn't just teaching Torah when he spoke. Um, he actually spoke the word of God. So Jesus shows up on this scene, and um, it's inconvenient. They're washing their nets. It's not a good time to fish. But, and, and Jesus just walks up and, and sits in the boat. That's what the text is, right? Sitting on the shore, he walks up and he sits in it. And he says, hey, let's, let's go out. Uh, put out a little bit from shore so I can teach the people. And um, one of the other things that uh, Bailey points out that's significant is, you know, kind of doing and returning favors in Middle Eastern culture is, like, very important. Somebody does something significant for you, such as Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, um, you know, would have been really significant. And so Jesus coming in just, you know, I don't really know how long that was um, between those two events, but uh, Jesus comes in, sits in the boat, says, hey, Peter, put out, from sh you know, put out a little bit from shore. Uh, Jesus is kind of calling in a favor here, and Peter's kind of like, you know, he can't, you know, he can't say no. I mean, that would have been, you know, incredibly uh, dishonorable. Um, you know, would have been unethical of him to do that. Um, so it is a kind of a reflection of how Jesus comes in our, into our lives at an inconvenient time, oftentimes, um, and uh, you know, just messes up our flow and, and tells us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Um, but as we'll see, when when we when we obey, some cool things start to happen. Yeah. And um, sorry, the the content of the fish uh, of the of Jesus' teaching to the people is not is not what's at issue here. What's what's significant is the call of the disciples. So, you know, Luke doesn't record any of what he's teaching, you know, kind of like the you know Sermon on the Mount or anything like that. So let's go fishing. Jesus says, hey, put out into the deep and let down your nets. Again, it's bad timing. Peter's like, hey, I know what I'm doing. Uh, it's daytime. You know, it's not a good time to fish on the Sea of Galilee. Um, the type of fishing they're doing is done at night. You don't do it in the deep. Um, the uh, Peter Peter's skeptical, right? He said, he, he, what, "What he essentially his response to Jesus is essentially kind of, well, you know, you're the boss, whatever you say. It's, it's not really like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to to you and, and, and totally trust you. It's kind of skeptical and the." word that he uses is actually uh, this Greek word, hypostatis. Um, and it's interesting, it kind of it, it means like boss, or master, or, you know, supervisor, or anything like that. But, but Luke uses it in a few different places. Um, and it seems like every time he uses this word, Luke is pointing out that the people who are interacting with Jesus are missing the point of who, of who Jesus is. Um, because they call him uh, you know, most of our translations say master. Um, there's actually a couple different words for master. And this isn't the same one that's used um, elsewhere. Um, so Luke, Luke uses this in uh, again in a boat when the, the big storm comes up in Luke 8. They call out to Jesus who's asleep. You know, they call him epistates, master, master. You know, don't you care that we're perishing? Um, there's a... Uh, Let's see, sorry. Um, the other one is the, the woman who had been bleeding, right? They're, the crowds are pressing around Jesus. The woman's bleeding. She comes up and she touches him. He says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, again, epistatis, you know, master, 
everybody's pressing around you. What are you talking about? You know, there's lots of people touching you. Um, on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, that's a, that's a big kind of mess up on the part of the disciples, right? They're like, hey, Moses and Elijah are here. Let's build a few tents, and we'll just set up shop right here because this is super cool. And they, they use that, that same word there, and then the voice, you know, speaks, and they're like, okay, that was bad. We shouldn't have done that. Um, so uh, the lepers also uh, use that, that usage. Um, here's an artist. I thought this was an interesting artist kind of rendition of, uh, this is right from uh, Raphael. Um, see, the boats are pretty small. <laughs> so it wouldn't have really taken much to, like, fill up and <laughs> swamp them. And uh, they're a little cramped. And they're always, the, the, these guys, in these, they're always ripped. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I think they were probably more like, you know, really skinny but really strong, you know, type of guys. Um, yeah, I did learn a new word here, right? Uh, bathymetry is actually the study of the depth of bodies of water. Bath metrics, I guess. Yeah. Bathymetry. So the Sea of Galilee is 43 meters deep at its uh, deepest point, but you can see right near the sh even near the shore, um, it's 10 meters deep. So that's that's pretty deep. So when Jesus said put out in the deep, didn't necessarily go very far. Um, so anyways, they, they they have this miraculous catch of fish after um, listening to Jesus, and uh, one one of, another thing that Bailey points out is they signaled to their partners. They were like. Over here, it doesn't say that they called to them. Um, and one of the reasons that he points out there is that uh, sound would have traveled really well on the water, really far. So if you got these guys shouting, you got a lot of other fishermen on the shore, they would have been like, whoa, they just made a big catch. <laughs> let's go let's go grab our nets and, and go um, steal this. And, and they would, you know, so they would try to, uh, they were trying to keep it, you know, uh, on the down low, not let everybody know that they just made, you know, hit the jackpot. So Peter sees that Jesus had the ability to quickly make a lot of money. Um, and that blew Peter away. The, the, his first response was, oh my gosh, look at all this bank we're going to make. You know, this is going to be a big, big thing. I mean, this is everybody's dream around the lake, right? These fishermen, they want to make it big. They want to have a big catch. They take this, you know, to market or whatever. They sell it. They, they make a lot of money. So Jesus had this ability, but instead he was just an itinerant creature going around living, you know, a pretty uh, humble lifestyle and, and teaching people that he had given up his ability, even though he had the ability to make a ton of money, he gave that up in order to teach the word. This blew Peter away afterwards. Right, and, and Jesus graduates in Peter's uh, vision from just apostates. Right, he's not just a you know boss or whatever anymore. Now he's curios, uh, right, which means Lord. So Peter initially skeptical of Jesus. Um, you know, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm going to listen to you anyways, even though it doesn't really make any sense to me. And afterwards, he's like, "You are the Lord." Okay. Um, all of them, it says all of them are, are kind of in the same type of uh, mindset. They're like, they're all fearful. They're all in awe of what Jesus did. And Peter tells Jesus, go away, because I'm unclean. Because under, under the law, right, if you were unclean and you touched something that was holy, you could make it 
you could make it unclean. Peter's worried that, hey, uh, this, is what's, this is what's actually going to happen here. And Jesus' response is significant for us, um, and obviously significant for Peter, because he says, no, even though you're unclean, you know, you're going you're gonna to come with me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying, I'm staying with you, and I'm going to use you in spite of, uh, you know, your failings, whether it's, you know, you're focused on money, you, um, you know, don't quite get who it is that I am yet, um, you're, you're a man of unclean lips, um, you know, all that stuff. So he's going to, Jesus is going to redirect his skills um, that he had been practicing all, uh, you know, all his, you know, probably through his teenage years. Um, he's going to redirect his catching fish to catching men. And, uh, you know, speaking of Peter's, uh, Peter's life, Peter was probably, well, Peter was married, right? It says in the previous chapter. So Peter was at least 18 years old uh, when he was called, uh, maybe a little older. We don't, we don't quite know um, how old they, they were exactly. Um, but there's a couple of, of hints throughout the, throughout the Gospels that they can tell us, give us some, an approximate age, or, you know, he's probably between 20 and 30. Um, but if we go with the, uh, you know, remember the Jewish education thing, at about 20 years old is when you would become apprenticed to a, to a rabbi um, who would be at least 30, and you would go out with him and learn from him. So Peter, probably 20 years old, maybe? I don't know. Um, but, again, cool to think about so just like um, Jesus caught him, uh, right? Jesus is living out his teaching here um, of, of, of catching men, right? He, he's not just... That's my timer telling me. Getting close. So um, he's, not, he's not just telling Peter, hey, you're going to go out and catch men, because in the previous uh, chapter... Um, you know, for uh, chapter four, verse forty-four, it said that Jesus was preaching throughout Judea, right? Um, and then he came and he caught the, the fishermen, um, took them on as his disciples. So he's living out this catching of men uh, right at this time. So they leave everything and they follow him. Um, you know, another thing that Bailey uh, points out in the book is that you know, oftentimes things will get a little bit. Um, exaggerated. They did certainly leave everything, um, but they, they compress it down into this really short period of, that makes it seem like they just left the fish rotting on the shore, and they probably did not do that. Um, we know that they used boats throughout Jesus' ministry, right? They take trips across the lake on the boat. Peter comes back to the boats after Jesus is crucified, and he's still fishing again. Um, so he goes back to what he knows. The boats are probably there, I don't know, with their, with their families or just, you know, left in the care of somebody else. Um, so, um, yep, already covered all that. So the structure of uh, Luke 5, 1 through 11. Do you guys want to try to break it down? Sure. All right, so let's see if we can break it down and find the, the pattern here. Um, do you need to go ahead? Okay. Oh, sure. Okay. I know you said you, you needed to That's fine. go over it. Uh, Are you going to be using the projection? Um, I don't need it, so you need to. I'll bring it over to get it set up. Alright. So, 1 through 11, limited, limited time. So, 
Um, what we're going to do, we're not going to try to write out the whole verse. We'll try to get the big idea uh, down first, and then we'll try to arrange it. So, what's the first the first thing um, to kind of look out for as you're uh, working through these uh, parallelisms? Is there there might be there might be introductory information, there might be conclusory information, there might be uh, kind of parenthetical explanatory information throughout the middle, right? <clears throat> so you got to look out for that. So what we're looking for is the action, right? What's what's going on? Like I said before, what's the action? Who's it happening to? Etc. Right? Um, so Bailey uh, termed this uh, uh, loop, loop uh, five one through eleven. He terms this a uh, the prophetic rhetorical template. Um, it's actually uh, I will give a little bit away. It's a chiastic structure. It's inverted. Um, and um, there's a, a miraculous uh, nature miracle. There's a nature miracle in the middle. So that's the climax. So I'll give that away too because we're running long on time. Right, so the climax is the dramatic catch of fish. All right, so we'll kind of put that, we'll, we'll kind of put that in the middle. What do you think, um, as you're working through the passage, what, is, what happens right before the um, dramatic catch of fish? Yeah, Jesus calls, yeah, Jesus calls him master, so, I mean, Peter calls him master, so Peter, uh, Peter um, calls Jesus, um, he, he speaks kind of uh, in arrogance, all right? What happened? What happens after the dramatic catch? Peter speaks in humility. All right. So what happens before Peter speaks in arrogance? Or, yeah, this might be a little... Uh, yep, use commands. Alright. Jesus commands him to do what? He commands him to catch fish. Alright, how about after Peter speaks in humility, what's Jesus commands him to do? <coughs> Again, 
climax of the story. <clears throat> and we got the opposite of C there and the opposite of B there. So you can see the you can see the structure, and it does it, it is chiastic. It does have this you know X where it uh, intersects the the action intersects, and then it works its way back out, and each each one corresponds. So pretty cool. Everybody got that. So you can do you can do that um, you know on your own a little bit. You know, do some practice. You can practice with that uh, the one in First Corinthians that I that I mentioned. Um, and so just in conclusion, the, you know, finding these parallelisms can help us to um, interpret the scriptures uh, correctly. Um, you're, you're not going to, uh, you're, you're going to be able to see um, key terms and phrases defined. Um, you know, kind of how we looked at can't serve God or can't serve two, mammon, two masters. And can't serve God and Mammon. Those two clarify each other. Uh, you know what Jesus was saying there. Um, this uh, is actually uh, opposing this. So um, catching fish, catching people, <clears throat> and the again climax is in the center uh, of this this Martin, this miracle that, that Jesus performed. So. It helps you to identify the significant parts of the passage, and also helps you to find analogies for, uh, you know, application. So you can come up with analogies to help people to understand what Jesus is really teaching here. <clears throat> help us even to understand. Um, you know, we're not going to become uh, experts overnight in doing this. Um, so don't do it alone. You know, run run your ideas by. Someone else. Amen. Anybody catch that? Yeah. That, that was parallelism. All right. All right. So, so just be wary though of you know you're not going to find some secret hidden meaning in the scriptures from this, right? right. It, it's it's not going to like deviate from the plain your plain understanding of the passage. It, it's going to enrich it and help you to understand it better, but you're not going to come up with something that is completely contrary to what you know, the passage is saying. So it should really clarify the original, uh, you know, the intent of the passage and help you to understand it better. Um, <clears throat> so, all right, well, does everybody understand what parallelisms are? Yes. And everybody got it? any questions or anything? Or, um, no. oh, sorry, cool, it's 10 up, so we got to start checking in for children. Thanks everybody for coming. Appreciate it. Um, is it twelve? Yes. I was noticing that the last, um, the one that we did in sixteen, I think it was, yeah. um, had A B C D B C D A. There was two B's in the middle, so it doesn't matter so long as it's a climax yeah. in the center. It doesn't matter if it's D D or just one, one center point. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. If, if there's, well, it's probably still.
Yeah, I'd say it's probably still making the point of the two statements in the center, uh, just because the whole structure works. Um, yeah, it could be. Would you mind grabbing this stuff? Sure. Um, one thing I think I forgot I forgot to point out is that those all, all those different structures and everything, um, they can actually be combined into. You know, different, larger uh, structures. Uh, like a structure within a structure. Yeah, structure within a structure. And yeah. then um, there, what I, uh, one thing that was really interesting was that some some people have suggested that the entire book of John is actually written in a chiastic structure. Yeah, I read from, that from beginning to end. I read that somewhere, and someday I want to do that. Yeah. figure that out. So um, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, there could be a lot. Of, and, and he had other examples in the book. Um, in like uh, I think Isaiah, you know, you yeah, I read I read the chapters, um, so that's why it was good to catch up. You think 